The Athletic. Hi there and welcome to From the Rookery End. This is Adam Leventhal, the Watford correspondent of The Athletic. And we are back, ready to go back home to the wonderful palace of football, Vicarage Road, to head there with hope and expectation of three points for the first time since 1984. (laughs) (laughs) What's the opposite of a fortress? I've just sort of been thinking as you were saying that. Sandcastle? Yeah. I, I like Sandcastle. Welcome to Sandcastle Vicarage Road. <laughs> <laughs> but look, I think, you know, we are obviously looking forward to... to well, we're not, we're not really looking forward to, a, to another yeah, game. I was going to say, what are you talking about obviously looking <laughs> forward to it? We obviously are not looking forward to it, Adam Leventhal. And I put it to you that your relentless optimism is doing my blooming nutting. But Mike and Ed, you say we're not looking forward to it, but we're not dreading it either, are we? You know, that's the kind of weird space that we're in. We're just sort of accepting that it's it's happening. It's going to happen and we'll see what happens and it doesn't really matter either way, yeah. What we're now looking at is who... Who do we want to come down with us, isn't it? So do we roll over for Burnley and give them give them three points and then hope that we beat Everton to, to bring them down? Because, look, without wanting to dress it up or, or be too cerebral about it, it would be hilarious if Everton got relegated, wouldn't it, for us as, as, as Watford supporters to see them come down with us. Of course, then being a bit more sensible about it, would they be a, a, a big fish in the championship and, a, and another team to worry about if we're, if we're going to get straight back up? Um, but it would be great to see Everton go down, wouldn't it? It would just add another little layer into this um, emerging picture of hell, really, um, for Watford <laughs> fans. It, it, because we are still very much on the sort of precipice of witnessing that unholy trinity of Marco Silva's Fulham, Bournemouth and Luton get promoted. And if you add Everton going down into the mix, Mark, that would just make Marco Silva even happier if he passes if he passes them on the way up and they're coming down. I think it would be a little bit of consolation, to be honest. I think I think that would soften the blow a little bit. But let's let's not get too carried away with what's going on outside the Watford bubble. Bubble. Let's let's deal with um with what is what is going on. I haven't even name checked my two wonderful co-hosts for this uh, midweek episode, Mike Parkin. And uh, David Walker, you're right. It is a strange feeling heading into a game at Vicarage Road, obviously with that wretched home form and a feeling almost of wanting the season to end as soon as possible. However, I challenge you to this. If Watford were to collect three points against Burnley, how great would that feel? And how much of a glimmer do you think there would be after the game of still surviving and how much more confidence potentially could there be? Mike, are you, I can see, we, we record this and I can see both Dave and Mike's faces and Mike is, is literally laughing in my face. But I'm not being, <laughs> I'm not being, maybe, maybe not about survival, but more about just having something to be happy about at Vicarage Road. A little bit of pride, a little bit of something. I think I'd be annoyed though. I'd, I'd be annoyed with them for winning almost. Because <laughs> <laughs> See the job through, lads. See the job through. Lose the lot, please. You know, just, it, just, just prolonging the agony 
would just be classic oh, I disagree. for us, wouldn't it? I mean, I get it. Of, of course, we'd be happy in the moment. It'd be good for if it'd just be good for everyone's state of you know peace of mind. I suppose on the day, but uh, just I mean, I can't, I kind of agree with you, Dave, because I think the fact that Watford are so far out of touch uh, at this stage of the season, where other teams really are continuing to struggle, Everton have contrived to get themselves well and truly into the mire. Leeds now all of a sudden start to look a little bit nervous. Yet still, we are absolutely miles away from it. And I think the fact that we are effectively relegated with the run-in we've had, we kind of deserve, the team deserves the punishment to carry on on this on this dreadful run and really see it through in spectacularly bad fashion. It kind of, it just feels like it needs to happen to keep in keeping with the, in the season. But to answer your, your question, Ad, the latter point about a glimmer of hope, absolutely none. Watford have relegated, relegated, um, start the car, put it in reverse. We're going down, we're done. Stick a fork in it, etc. However, for the long-suffering supporters that have been going to Vicarage Road this season, and certainly for those that haven't been lucky enough to or able to, to get away to the away games at Villa, at Southampton um, and, uh, and Everton and Norwich, where, where there was sort of rare high points, there's just been, it's just been such a dire, dismal season that we are now at the stage where we're just desperate to have anything to, to smile about. So... We just got to win, so that that's what that's what it would be is is a is respite really, and and a, and a reason and, and a reminder that you can have fun at Sandcastle Vicarage Road. But as for a glimmer of hope, I'm afraid there is uh, there is absolutely none. But as with every game, there's a chance to win. So let's hope Watford can go and do that and and do it well. I think there is actually quite an important subplot to not just you know tossing it away and not caring about these final home games. In that. There are a few players in that Watford dressing room which Watford would quite like to to keep hold of. The likes of Hassan Kamara, Edo Kayembe, maybe Samuel Kalou, not that we've seen much of him, who have never experienced Vicarage Road after a victory and don't have don't have that to rely on. Don't have that as a life experience to actually hold on to when not that necessarily it will be their decisions. It may well be agents' decisions. It may well just be the club saying that you're not going anywhere. But at least they would would have that um, to just fall back on a little bit when they are making their decisions as to whether they want to go to Lille or they want to go to Marseille or they want to go to just anywhere else apart from Watford. So I think it is important, both on the, the pride side of things and on players' futures side of things, that, that they can get a victory and just keep it going for a couple of weeks. I think it's healthy. I think it's important to keep fighting. You know, Watford have fought to actually get to this point to try and compete in the Premier League. And yes, for the vast majority of the season, it has gone horrifically wrong. But you are still competing at the top table and you should keep on fighting. We will be talking about players' futures, uh, specifically Emmanuel Dennis, and also Musa Sissoko, two players that I've sort of focused on for um, a couple of pieces recently. But also, uh, we are going to be talking about the future and who is going to be filling the hottest of hot seats in football at Vicarage Road next season. A piece has dropped today on The Athletic, going through some of the potential candidates for when Roy Hodgson, as we expect, leaves at the end of the season. I'm not 100% certain that if a miracle of all miracles happened, that he wouldn't in some way, shape or form be either persuaded or 
some sort of groundswell of opinion of actually it has come good and we do love Roy now wouldn't exist. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm just saying I don't think it is possible to give 100% certainty that he would leave at the end of the season. But that is the strongly held expectation that he will leave after six months um, in charge. And we can look at, at other names. But I think that there is behind the scenes at, at Vicarage Road, you know, he's still doing a job and he is still trying to get a tune out of this side. And a lot of people have, have sort of contested, and I understand why, contested whether he is still getting his message across and whether he is still the manager for Watford. Maybe he's not the manager for, for Watford in the future, but I do still see a team that is not downing tools. They are still maybe at times holding the tools at the wrong end, but they are not necessarily downing tools. And I think that that is... Got a set of Fisher-Price tools. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, look, for, I haven't had my opinion on, on the Manchester City game. And obviously, yes, look, it was it was another heavy defeat. Another heavy defeat. But at times, I looked at that team and I thought... They're actually, they don't look as spineless as other Watford teams that I've seen face up against Manchester City. So at least that's something, something. Anyway, we digress. So let's talk about some potential names, which I've spoken about in this latest article for, for The Athletic. And you can read all about it in in there and all the details, etc., etc. But I've gone through some of the, you know, the, the, the big eye-catching candidates, the likes of uh, Fabio Cannavaro, um, also Diego Martinez, who's been you know strongly linked with the job, and it goes into the details as to where those situations stand at the moment. And basically, the situation, as I understand it, is it's very much at the due diligence research stage. There is no preferred candidate right now. But you know, as I say at the beginning of the piece, even if all was well at Vicarage Road, Fortress Vicarage Road. Gino Pozzo would still have his eye on the next appointment anyway. But the fact that it is and has gone to pot this season, you can guarantee, and it would be na naive to think that he hasn't got one or two eyes already on who is going to be managing um, next season. There are some big names mentioned in the piece. There are some, some other candidates which I've learnt about, at more peripheral ones. One that was offered, it appears, by, a, by an agent and that was someone who is is not going to be the manager, but it does sort of give a little bit of a taste into how this process works, that a lot of people are contacting Watford at the moment, offering their services, be it coaches, managers directly, some of which may be in, you know, jobs. I haven't heard back yet, just to, just to be clear. <laughs> yeah. Well, you never know. Well, it's still at the due diligence stage, Mike. <laughs> that could be why. Yeah, they're still weighing, weighing up options. But there are, you know, managers that will be in jobs already and, and fancying maybe taking Watford with parachute payments in, in the championship. There are out-of-work managers. There are assistant managers. There are uh, coaches that want to step up. So there is a whole array of people that are still, despite all of the difficulties attached to, to Watford's job, they still want it. It's still an attractive job, Mike. Uh, well, yeah, of course it is, because the the, the opportunity is there to, to re get Watford promoted again. You're, you'd like to think there will be a, um, a strong squad and then a job of work to establish them in the Premier League. So absolutely, it's attractive. The, the one thing I wanted to ask you, just and, and looking at the article, to ask you both, 
And the first name that, that's mentioned, Dad and, and Dave, in the article is Fabio Cannavaro. And that does strike me as a sort of Gino Pozzo type appointment. It's a, it's a name that everyone in football knows. It's got a certain amount of gravitas and cachet attached to it. But, but going back to what we were talking about last week, chaps, about changing the approach and looking to build something, whilst Fabio Cannavaro would certainly attract headlines and would certainly attract attention, is that the sort of appointment that Watford should be looking at? And does it worry you that he's he's potentially on the shortlist if we're looking to it's looking to Gino Pozzo and Scott Duxbury to to start this sort of this change in in approach, this change in tact? What do you guys think of, of that when you see that name? It would be a big gamble, definitely, because there isn't anything really that you can point to with his managerial record that gives you any sort of real confidence necessarily that he would be able to come into a team in the championship just relegated team in the championship and hit the ground running now that isn't to dismiss quite a few hundred games that he's had as a manager mainly managing in China but I do think it's legitimate to ask the question as to whether managing a sort of one of the stronger teams in the Chinese Super League is acceptable and appropriate preparation for coming into a championship promotion race he might come in and do brilliantly who knows but it would strike me as a big risk at a time when risking is not what we need to do we need to try and I think keep it simple and get someone who you can have a reasonable amount of confidence in who knows what they're doing isn't kind of learning on the job can come in is ready and that's why another name well some of the other names in the piece are more are more sure sort of sure bets I think but I was intrigued to add to see that you've got Russell Martin of, of Swansea in the piece. Now he hasn't led Swansea to the playoffs or anything this season. They're in mid-table, but they've they've attracted admirers for the football that they play. I think when he was MK Don's manager, there was there's this clip that still does the rounds every now and again on Twitter. They've like I think they broke the record for like amount the, the amount of passes in sort of one sequence in English football or something mad like that. Maybe it was overkill. You know, I think it was like 50-odd passes or something ridiculous. But he's he's very committed to playing this sort of ultra-modern passing, playing out from the back football. And he's a guy that's been progressing from MK Dons to Swansea, progressing through the divisions. And you'd think, whether that be at a new club or whether that be at Swansea, next season would probably be the one where he'd be looking to kick on and make a real name for himself and make an impact. So that's why I would prefer we maybe lent towards that sort of person even if it wasn't Martin someone similar to him as opposed to taking a punt on somebody like Fabio Cannavaro who is a legendary figure in football would bring us publicity would bring us attention the likes we probably haven't seen since we hired Viali back in you know 20 years ago um but it'd be a big risk but if you ask me which which of those two approaches is Gino Pozzo more likely to favor I probably would think he'd probably more likely go for Fabio Cannavaro than Russell Martin. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see which which school of thought ultimately Gino decides to um, subscribe to when when the final decision is made. But I, I do agree with you, and you know, if if the you know, in light of the piece that I wrote the the other week about, you know, hoping to, to try and change this culture and maybe having a little bit of a reset, you would think that, yes, the likes of, you know, Russell Martin or or a John Eustace, who I, who I mentioned as well in the piece, or another head coach 
or manager in the championship that maybe's had a you know a good run into the into the playoffs but that doesn't necessarily get promotion you know be that like a Steve Cooper at Nottingham Forest if it doesn't go well for them or Carlos Corbran at Huddersfield yeah exactly and I remember interestingly and I you know regular listeners to From the Rookery and will remember how um Carlos Corbran and his and his band of merry men in the in the Huddersfield dugout were actually you know there when Gino Pozzo ultimately made the decision to dispatch Vladimir Ivic after that game at Huddersfield and the contrast between the two dugouts and all that sort of stuff. So maybe, you know, a little a little seed may have been planted. It's amazing, really, to look back on that game. Etching Kapu scored no goal in that game. He's going to play in a Champions League semi-final in about an hour. <laughs> yeah, I know. That was, yeah, I mean, that was, a, that was an appalling, appalling afternoon. In, in terms of, you know, other candidates, I think there will obviously be... A school of thought amongst fans, I think, not that I subscribe to, to say, right, if you're going to get someone new in and they're available now, get them in now and give them a few names, give them a few games. I completely disagree with that. I think start afresh, get this season finished, say thank you very much, Roy. It hasn't quite gone to plan. Or if it has gone to plan, you know what? Maybe we need to just stop for for a moment and just see if we if there's anything that you can help us with here seeing as you have somehow managed to get an uptick at some stage i'm not saying it's going to happen i'm not going to say i'm not saying it's happened. I, can't, stop, stop, I can't i stop. can't believe you i can't believe you even bring it up as a possibility i mean ad you're a grown man you're a grown man with fully functioning brain eyes ears full senses why do you keep bringing this up you absolute <laughs> raving nutcase <laughs> Hear me out. What I was I wasn't necessarily saying that he would remain. I was going to say that if you have actually had someone in charge for the for the amount of time that he has been there and yes, he's rubbed fans up the wrong way and I and I realize that at times, but he and Ray Lewington two people that you respect the views of you don't necessarily need to just dispatch them out of the door. And I spoke to him after the game against Manchester City and I said to him about whether he feels, how does he now view the, the Watford um, model and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And he said, look, I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to share that with you, but I have learned some things. And if Gino wants to find out about it and, and, wants, and wants me to talk to him about it, then I will. And I think that that's really important. If they are genuinely going to learn and try and move forward with some positivity into next season, whatever division that's going to be in, then, you know, they should listen to the experience and have almost like have have a genuine handover because, you know, Ray Lou's a good guy. He's a, he's a nice bloke and he's a good coach. Roy Hodgson is vastly experienced and he will have seen some things. Yes, he hasn't been able to get a tune out of this side as yet. However... He will have seen things and he will be able to pass on wisdom. You need to be able to take things on board. And if it's criticism, take it on board and learn from it. Yes, you can lose, but you can also learn at the same time. And hopefully Watford will be able to do that. So in terms of the, you know, the, the other elements of the piece, there is someone else that does previously have uh, championship experience. And that's Gerhard Struber, who was the the other option when they went for Vladimir Ivic in the end. And he is someone that is currently working out in the States at New York Red Bulls. And one of the things that I have learned, which I think is actually quite interesting, and it goes against the previous hires that Gino Pozzo has made, is that as I understand it, 
they wouldn't be averse to spending a little bit of money. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there is a chance that compensation could be paid. So that means that, you know, whether that's someone abroad or whether that's someone domestically, someone who's had success in the championship or, you know, be that a Neil Critchley at Blackpool, for example, or I don't know, Mark Warburton at QPR. I know he's sort of had a bit of shaky time with, with QPR, but whoever that would be, I'm not saying it's them. I'm just saying that, you know, anyone they would be able to maybe pay a little bit of money and, and, and maybe have a bit of a plan and go, he's our man, that's the guy that, that we want. And it, it sort of, I don't know, it has a bit more weight to it than just sort of taking a guy that's floating around. Yeah, I was I was interested to see that, that you made that point, Ad, in the piece because it's always been, I think with the exception, wasn't Cisco was in a job, wasn't he? Sort of when we got him, but I think every yeah, obviously every, every other yeah, but exactly probably wasn't a, probably didn't have to pay a lot of money to Dinamo Tbilisi to get to get hold of him. Every other manager they would point has been out of work because it's always been sort of part. It's always been said to be like part of the sort of plan of like oh we don't go and pay big money for managers. But what what take one look at the accounts. You've been paying big money to get rid of the managers, so spend a bit of money up front. Buy cheap, buy twice. Buy cheap, buy 14 times or whatever it is in Gino Pozzo's reign, pretty much. So, you know, I think it's a good, it makes complete sense because we've been operating under a completely false economy. So, yeah, look, I hope it, it, it does sort of get people thinking. And a lot of people, a lot of fans are sort of already looking to the future. So if you, if you want to, to catch that article, find out a little bit more about maybe the sort of the direction of, of travel at the moment, with a few weeks left of the of the season, and obviously, you know, the the football league season is is ending uh, sooner than the Premier League as well. So there are decisions to be made, and I think probably the hierarchy would like to strike while the iron's hot. Um, if you want to read the piece, it's on the Athletic. Uh, go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end to pick up our latest discount. Let's talk about some players, shall we? This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. A Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is from the rookery end. A couple of pieces that I have written for The Athletic over the last seven days since we were last um, together. Concerns, well, well, let's start with, with Emmanuel Dennis because it's been a, it's been a funny old season for, for Mr. Dennis. Obviously started the season particularly well. He had a, a fallow few months after coincidentally uh, not going to AFCON with Nigeria. But he did score a goal and it looked as if it was going to be an important goal against Brentford, got, got back on track and then produced a wonderful assist for Hassan Kamara, who, by the way, I was absolutely delighted that he scored a goal because I've, I've loved every minute of watching him. Yes, there's been mistakes, but overall, I think he has been a real asset to the side. So Dennis, you know, supplying a, an assist, I think he's now on 10 goals, six assists, which puts him only behind... Uh, Troy Deeney with 20 and Igalo with 18 back in the 2015-16 season in terms of output for, for a Watford player in the Premier League. So he has done a lot of good things, but it, it, I would expect that he will be leaving at the end of the season and he becomes probably our prime saleable asset. And it looks as if it's going to be a sort of not necessarily a one-hit wonder, but it's going to be just a, a one-season thanks 
for the memories well you know good luck it's not it's sort of it's not that convincing is it a fleeting romance a fleeting romance that's a nice way of putting it it felt like a fleeting romance that we went into with our eyes wide open it wasn't a sort of uh drunken grab at the end of a, a, a nightclub <laughs> night we knew exactly what we were doing i think when we got into bed if you like if you're going to carry on the analogy with uh emmanuel you dennis <laughs> come here mr dennis uh, and i think i just felt like we knew what we were doing with it we he, he he has that air about him doesn't he that he can come in be magical for a bit and then and then disappear again and that's kind of the way he's he's performed this season mercurial i guess is the word i'm i'm looking for we've seen his talent we've seen that on his day he can be absolutely unplayable when his mind's on it he is absolutely superb but we've also seen glimpses that he might not be the easiest player to to play with and might not be necessarily the best influence in the dressing room we've seen plenty of moments when it's looked like he could have been could have passed to a forward colleague and simply hasn't done it that's almost been a recurring theme really throughout the season hasn't it and there were you know whispers about his reputation before he before he arrived at Vicarage Road so it kind of felt like we knew that this one was a gamble and it looks like in terms of the model if you like the player trading model it's going to pay off it hasn't kept us in the in the Premier League no matter what you might think Adam it's, it's not going to keep us in the in the Premier League uh, and like you say, I think we're going to be able to sell him for a, for a, for a tidy profit. Presumably, there'll be some sort of sell-on that's, that's due. These deals are always structured in a in an interesting way, as as some of your previous point pieces on the Athletic have pointed out. Ad, but I think we've had we've had our pound of flesh from Emmanuel Dennis, and I think no one is going to be surprised when he departs. So I think this will be a a parting of the ways. It is is quite straightforward for us as as supporters. We've his 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 flame burned bright but fleetingly. And I think we're all all right with that, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. I, it's definitely been a season that has sort of petered out for him, although in the last couple of weeks he's got a goal and assist, so there's, he's shown signs of life in the last few weeks. But you can't avoid the fact that his season, for whatever reason, and we don't know the facts and, or what, what, what sort of goes on behind closed doors, but when it came to AFCON, that whole sort of drama in, in advance of going to AFCON when we thought he might go and all that sort of thing, the club didn't want him to go and the missed, the missed email and everything, his form plummeted pretty quickly after that point and hasn't really recovered until recent weeks. Before that, he was on fire. One of the division's informed players scored most of our goals, scored most of his goals for the season in that first half. But I don't think we should necessarily look too badly upon him. You were saying, Mike, that he sometimes doesn't pass when he should and all that sort of stuff, which you know, which is true. We've been able to see that with our own eyes. And there, there have been times when he and the other forward players look like they're not really playing for each other they're all playing for themselves but he'll point to six assists and say hey you know who else has who else has got as many assists as me Kiko's probably the next one off you know the next one that's closest and you know he's done his bit really 10 goals and if if he had a bit of luck could have gone could have had a few more I was reading Matt Rosen's Be Happy blog after the Man City game at the weekend and he pointed out something that hadn't occurred to me at all that Kamara his goal on Saturday was the first goal from a defender that we've had this season which you know you normally you get a few goals from your centre backs or one of the full backs you know you normally get people chipping in and we just haven't had enough of the other players in the squad helping out Dennis and he's been the only one really consistently throughout the whole season that has posed a consistent credible goal scoring threat and being a creative attacking exciting player 
that we've had. So I think we have to say hats off to him, really. He's, he's exceeded our expectations. He came in with not much fun, fanfare at all. We weren't sure what we were going to get. And I think we've probably got a lot more than anyone had hoped for. And if he gets us 20 million, 25 million, or whatever the figure might be at the end of the season, that's job done for everyone involved. I think he's ultimately just been the, the, he's been the best of a bad bunch. It now just has to be a, a business a business situation whereby you go right well you can you can plug the gap thank you very much um and we wish you all the very best the 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 more sort of concerning one is obviously Ishmael Assar who we've we've spoken about on a number of occasions and I asked um Roy Hodgson about him after the game uh you know basically saying you know how do you get the best out of him in these five games at the very least, just to ensure that the potential suitors that are maybe sort of eyeing him up as an option want to take him. And, and Roy very dryly said, well, I suppose it depends what uh, what the potential suitors actually want. At the same time, he did also say, I thought that I'd, I'd bring João Pedro on because I think that he'd do the better job. So basically, he's, you know, he's not convincing the fans. He's not convinced Roy Hodgson, who has worked with some, you know, notable assets in wide areas most notably Wilfred Zaha who we we know and don't love at all at at Watford and he has managed to get the best out of him at Crystal Palace and unfortunately he has not been able to sort of sync with Ishmael Assar in in any way and I don't think that that's Roy Hodgson I think it's Ishmael Assar seemingly being in a little bit of a a difficult space at the moment and not just not able able to put a, a big performance together. One other player I wanted to talk about was uh, Musa Sissoko because I caught up with him after the game at the Etihad and fair dues to him. He, he, he did stop and he did talk and it was good to sort of stand face to face with a player, which we haven't actually been able to do since since before COVID in a, in a mix zone, which they haven't really been open. So it's good to stop and actually talk to someone. And that that is actually a, a really important thing in terms of coverage of, of a football club as well. Now we're sort of coming out the back of, of the pandemic and, and all the regulations are softened and all that sort of stuff, um, that we're able to stop, speak to players when they are leaving the ground after games and things like that, whereby they can actually express themselves a little bit more than maybe a, a manager can in a press conference and things like that. Hopefully that will develop as a, as a nicer theme well, for, for, from now on. But what we have learned about Musa Sissoko is, 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 is I understand it, that he is one of the players uh, within that Watford squad who does have a, a break clause in his contract. It's not going to be much of a surprise to anyone. No one would really be expecting Musa Sissoko to go and play in the championship. Although some fans would probably think, well, why not? You know, he's 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 been the leader of the team for, for, for this season and he's not managed to really carry them forward. My own sort of feeling on it is I don't necessarily think he is a captain. I think he would have been an asset in the side, but I don't really see him as the leader that maybe Watford needed this season. And that's not his fault. He's the most senior player. He's probably the most, yeah, he's certainly the most experienced player. Uh, he's played at the highest level within within the side. I can see why it was done, but I just don't think it's been the right fit this season. I guess now we just sort of have to start thinking about what that squad is going to look like next season. And, and without the likes of Dennis, the likes of Saar, the likes of Sissoko, probably Joshua King as well. Maybe Ben Foster flying off in into the uh, into the sunset with his GoPro. I think the Sissoko issue ad is is a good one and points to the 
problems that we've had with the squad because as you rightly say he's a he's a good player a good guy it seems from from your brief interaction with him after the after the city game yeah. he's got pedigree and he you could see why like you say why Watford signed him but what he hasn't been able to do is strike up any sort of midfield partnership there's never been like a a strong axis uh, there in the in the center of the park to allow him to do what he he does best and perhaps and he just hasn't been allowed to shine because there's been no partnership. And I think that sums up the entire squad, really, doesn't it? There's a sort of smattering of players who you look at them and think, yeah, they could do a decent job in the in the Premier League. Emmanuel Dennis has, has done it. Ismail Asar, as an example, hasn't. Um, and I think Sissoko is one that probably fits somewhere in between. He's been OK, but I don't think he's forged that midfield partnership that, had, that is so so vital in a in a Premier League team and it, for me it just sums up how this this season's gone it's we're, we're less than the, the the sum of our parts and I think he'll be another one that goes and it not it, it will with probably with our blessing it, it will be a, a footnote in his career really in terms of uh what he talks about to his grandkids when it when he he retires and I dare say that as Watford supporters we won't mention too many times when we had Musa Sissoko as as captain of the, the the football club when he's on the beach with his grandkids in uh, f- 15 years time one of them's building a little sandcastle go oh yeah that reminds me <laughs> I had that year Levic. at Watford didn't I Legarde <laughs> Levic <laughs> well, I, I think I think he can he can pretty much leave with his head held high. Really, if you uh, yeah. when 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 the final reckoning of this season is is carried out, I don't think he's going to be anywhere near the sort of most guilty culprit in terms of who's responsible for our demise. But it was interesting a few weeks back when there was that thing going around on Twitter, which was kind of you had to like name your player of the season, your unsung hero, your most improved, your flop of the season, and all that. And I actually had Sissoko down as my player of the season. And I, and I saw particularly, like, I think Sam Yuko and some of the other guys had him down as their biggest flop. And there was, there, was a, there was kind of a few of us who were kind of on both sides of that divide. There were a few people who sort of agreed with me on Sissoko. And there were quite a few people that sort of couldn't understand it. And I think he has kind of, he is sort of that sort of player. You, he, he's, he's not... I think he's he, he's a sort of player that the, probably the data analysts and the guys that are looking at it on a more technical level will be able to point out a number of his a number of his flaws quite re- easily and readily. Whereas other people might just look at the way he runs about a lot and he seems to care and he he kind of is always trying even in the last minutes of the games he's always trying to carry the ball. He's and he he is a sort of player, especially in a bad team where there's not been anything to really pin our hopes on that you can sort of get behind. And I sort of have some affection for just the kind of attitude and the way he's carried himself and the way he's tried, even though it hasn't really come off. He scored a few goals and I think like I think like the goal he scored against Arsenal was like a perfect example really. It was sort of a goal that was scored out of perseverance and sheer will as opposed to any sort of outstanding technical play. And that's kind of what he is. I was with a Spurs fan last night actually who said they all used to call they used to, they always used to refer to him as, as the rook because he can only move really in forwards or sideways. He can't really he can only move he can't really twist and turn or do anything spectacular. He can go up and down or side to side. 
but he's always there. And I sort of do like him. And but I think it will be another one where, yeah, look, it, we 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 wish it could have gone a bit better. You 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 gave us you know you gave us your best. I don't think he's left. He's sort of left anything on the table really. And it and he's thirty two. Like he doesn't want to go into the championship and spend what what few years he's got left as a top level player playing in the championship. Uh, I think there's been reports that he might you know Leon are interested and in you know go and play go and play for a top team in France who are playing in Europe and you know go and experience something else in the remaining years of your career get the wages off the wage bill shake your hand and and uh, you know job done yeah I, I agree I think I think also the fact that although you you don't want to be sort of exhibiting the lessons that you've learnt in back-to-back relegations from the Premier League but it does seem that you know by having these clauses in these contracts at least that is some sort of solace to you know, act as a little bit of a, a soothing balm after after relegation. That they are, yeah, they're not going to be getting into a similar situation to to they that they did with with Etienne Capou and and maybe with Troy Deeney as well and and things like that. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. Right. So we've we've sort of managed to circumnavigate a little bit the, the fact that we are playing Burnley and and they seem to be on the up and they are still have a little bit more of a genuine chance of staying in the in the uh, Premier League and uh, I'm very grateful to to Andy Jones the the Burnley correspondent for the Athletic for uh, speaking to our very own John for getting the Clarets take on things. I heard you on the Athletic Football Podcast a couple of weeks ago, straight after the dismissal of, of Sean Dyche. You know, that seemed a bit strange for for several reasons. One, the time of the season, uh, maybe not strange for Watford fans, but also in terms of the day of the week that it happened. It, you know, you were talking like a, a cafuddled person. Uh, how are things now at, at Burnley? How are you looking at the, that managerial change? It's gone as good as, as probably could have been expected or planned, really. When you look at the results since... Sean Dice has left and, and Mike Jackson's uh, taken over. Um, yeah, it was it was a, a strange period. Well, no one expected there to be a sacking at that point. I think it shocked the players and everyone, really, everyone I spoke to on that day and sort of the days after was still just sort of trying to process it. And that, that's what it sort of felt like for me as well, just sort of hearing these different things. But as sort of the day went on and, and you spoke to more people that, there was sort of a growing consensus that a change was was needed. There was a feeling in the dressing room that, not by all players, but there was certainly a, a number who, who thought things had just gone a little bit stale. It was difficult to try and understand because you hear different things from different people. So from speaking to you know other other journalists, some of us you know say that you know there was a feeling that Dice might have you know, that Donage was sort of the final straw. But then you speak to other people who say that you know there was no real intention of, of, of getting rid of Daesh on, on that Monday and there was definitely a shift during that week to to get to the point on Friday where there was a feeling there was only one option left and and I guess the way it's gone so far is you know Alan Pace looks like he's made the right decision but there's still a long way to go in, in the season and we won't know exactly if it was the right one or not until sort of that final whistle blows on the final day. So what happened? We've been unable to turn things around with two manager changes, what did you think? What, what do you think the thing that's changed, either on the pitch or or in the dressing room? It's all sort of a, a combination, and I wrote an article after the Wolves win, um, which sort of tried to encapsulate all that. Basically, Jackson and, and the coaching staff, so Paul Jenkins and Ben Mee, sort of moved into this this sort of coaching role while he's he's recovering from injury. They they sort of went away and, and had a 
they sort of decided on a number of key principles that they wanted to tweak within Burnley's system. So they, they weren't going to come in and change everything. They were keen to make that clear. And that, that made sense because, you know, with, with so few games left, ripping something up and trying to start again just, just didn't make any sense. And the core values that Sean Dice has always had in that Burnley team are still things that you want and and have clearly worked in, t- in, in a relegation-threatened side before. All the players have, have spoken about freedom. It's been the sort of the, the the go-to word, if you like, whenever anyone's talked about things. And and it what it, it's been a case of it just feels different, feels fresh. Players have sort of feel like they're being allowed to express themselves. I mean, someone sort of described it to me as they've been sort of in this cage, and sort of the doors now been opened. A cage that worked very well for a very long time, but clearly wasn't at this point, which is why they were. You know why they've looked in so much trouble this season, and it's it's just instilled, a, I think, a bit more confidence and belief in in the players. Dwight McNeil being the prime example, his his sort of rejuvenation, if if you like, in the last two or three games, has has really encapsulated all of what's changed. And it, it is, I think, there's just a, that that freshness within the dressing room. The mood feels better, I think. And Dice was very sort of didn't give the access to some of the you know, like the media team and stuff, but since he's left. The videos of, of the players in the canteen and sort of getting ready for training that didn't happen the dice because he wasn't too keen on that type of stuff you can see that the mood and, and the way the players are going about the businesses they're doing it in a relaxed sort of manner and, and not a, not one that where you would think they're in serious danger here well, do you feel even though bernie did have their run into europe and what have you if and i know you're not going to say uh, they will because you seem to be one of those chaps who won't say yes or no until they're, they're mathematically correct. If Burnley do stay up, or even if Watford stay up, do you really think the Premier League now is a place where either one of these teams can flourish? It's difficult. I think it really is difficult because of the teams who are coming into the league now and who are more prepared to spend, to spend big. There is that gap that's sort of increasing. I mean, Burnley last season, it was sort of already there. It was the first time they didn't finish with 40 points and... They were, they were sort of lucky in a way, even though they were well clear of relegation that, you know, the three teams below them were just really bad last season. So that, that certainly helped. But I think there is there is becoming a bigger divide and it's one that, you know, LK, their vision is to have Burnley as sort of this mid-table Premier League side and then hopefully extend further. But you have to have that finance and, and there's still question marks around LK and, and how much money they can properly invest into the club or or certainly free up in terms of transfer funds and stuff. So that that's where it concerns me. It does I mean, it's always felt like clubs like Burnley or Watford or, you know, whoever have had that sort of, sort of shelf life in the Premier League, I guess. If you're not one of those superpowers to be a fit in the past, you would say like an Everton, but, you know, they, they could be the ones who do go down this season. But it always feels like like the Burnleys, Watford, like Brentford, they'll have a shelf life and eventually they'll probably go down. It's becoming more difficult to continue to compete. And I think that's shown in sort of Burnley's finishes, I guess, when you finish seventh, but then you slowly they've sort of been on that decline. And that's because they've not been able to to reinvest, to evolve the squad, which Sean Dyche has been crying out for for years. A lot of this a lot of their squad is made up of the same players that played in that European campaign, however short it was. That's sort of kind of the problem. And ALK have shown a willingness to to loosen the pair strings, but will that be enough? It's, it's going to take a lot of smart recruitment. Effectively, you're going to have to get a lot right and you're going to have to sort of find a fair few of those hidden gems to be able to, to form a team 
you know, can compete and, and can sort of lift yourself year upon year or get away from that relegation zone like like other teams have been able to. But I guess if you do fall down to the championship, you lose that year of being able to do that and then you sort of you can become a Norwich. That gap gets bigger every every single season. Uh, do you think you know what you sort of said there, you know, because Burnley aren't able to reinvest, should they reinvented themselves sooner rather than wait until now with maybe Dyche having left a season or two ago? I think it's difficult because even this season, a lot of people were surprised by Sean Dyche's second because of his previous record and, and everyone sort of felt like if anybody was going to keep Burnley up this season, it was going to be him. I guess it's difficult because of the job he was doing. Like it's the, You can't forget that 2019-20, he finished 10th and within, you know, there are a couple of games towards the end of the season where they're still in with the shout of actually finishing sort of top eight, top top seven even. Um, the way the league was so while there has been a clear decline since that period you know there was a, there was a feeling that you know that things were still going all right and there wasn't a, a need to change but I guess especially with Burnley when you when you've got the same manager for such a length of time and he's been so successful and he's done so well there is that risk of if you change it and it goes wrong when you didn't necessarily need to change it that's when you know you could make yourself look a bit of a fool. Equally, you can find yourself in this situation where, you know, for 18 months, to say that Sean Dyche and the coaching team and the players were underachieving. Well, certainly the number of games they were winning was, was not enough and it was it was poor. And, and his, his sacking came about because of poor performance and, and underperformance. Um, so that I, I, I do, I understand what you're saying. I, I guess the problem is with Burnley as well, from that perspective, is how do you evolve when... You haven't got the money to evolve. So Sean Dyche wanted to evolve the team. He wanted to probably take it in a bit of a different direction or, you know, at least start that next phase, that next cycle of players, but he wasn't able to. So if he couldn't, it's difficult to see how another manager would have been able to do it when they had the same limited amount of funds. You know, we've been used to seeing what or thinking we know what Burnley is for, for a long time, you know, under, under Sean. What are we going to see different on Saturday? Are we going to see much different on Saturday? Or is it just, just as you sort of said, is it purely just a different attitude? I, th- I think you'll, no- you'll notice differences defensively and off the ball. It'll be very similar because that, that sort of energy, that work rate, that, that off the ball physicality is, is going to stay. It's, it's been such an important part of Burnley. It was never going to you know, completely go. But what you will see is probably more, I guess, control in possession. Or they'll certainly try to do that. You know, it might not necessarily work, but sort of those channel balls which have become, you know, those long, longer passes down the channels for Chris Ward or the aerial challenges that you did sort of ping the ball up and, and have the two strikers challenging with the centre-halves. You'll probably see less of that. That's certainly what we've seen in the last few games. Is there's more, especially with Valvegos, who's a different type of striker to Chris Wood. They'll try and play into his feet and get him to link the play. Probably see the wingers play, you know, higher. It certainly seems like they're trying to get more players around Vegos to be able for him to link up because... Under Sean Dyche, after his initial really good start, Vegos had started to, to to regress in terms of the the impact he was having in games, and he was struggling. Uh, he was you could see his frustration, but but you'll also see more expression as well. It, the plan, of course, because it doesn't always work, and Burnley have, have yet to sort of hit that wall where they've they've not gone behind yet in this in this regime. So you know you never know when that's going to happen, and how did they respond to that? You will see the the usual principles, but you will see, or the idea for them will be to play more front foot, play a bit more with the ball. Dwight McNeil will be a big influence. He'll 
playing on the right as well now, so he's he's cutting inside more often and, and sort of driving at defences, whereas on the left he was a little bit restricted and he was always going to go down the line or he would come too deep to collect the ball. There this week you're probably going to see that less long passes, but still mixed in there, but a different type of them as well, which they'll try and help to get them up the pitch. Well, look, both Watford and Burnley have, have been through the mill this season. Burnley have got their bounce with uh, Sean Dyche departing. Watford haven't yet got their bounce, Mike. And um, we will see if it arrives at Vicarage Road on Saturday. And uh, I very much look forward to uh, to catching up with you there. And I'll introduce you, my, uh, my good friend, Musa Sissoko, before the game and we can all have a good head bang together. Is that, is that all right? Oh, he's gone. Oh, he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's about as good an answer as you could get. He literally left at the at the uh, the uh, at hearing my um my question to him. Well, Mike Parkin has been on this uh, podcast <laughs> and uh Dave, it's been great having you on board as well. Can you at least say goodbye to me? Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Ed. <laughs> Take care, Dave. And uh, Mike, as he literally just leaves me hanging, all the very best to you. Take care. Enjoy, hopefully, a victory on Saturday at Vicarage Road. It would just be nice, wouldn't it? Just, just, just. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm really, really trying. Take care. Enjoy the game. And we'll catch up afterwards. The Athletic.